0: Hey guys, lights and cameras are set. We are working on season four of the Creation Today show. You're going to love it. wanted to introduce you to my co-host. Ah, well, say hey from back there. You're going to love it. Learn how to give a proper apologetic or defense for your faith with Battleship Apologetics this season on Creation Today, starting August 20th at creationtoday.org. Hey guys, Eric Hovind here with creationtoday.org. I've got the privilege of sitting down with Dr. James White from Alpha and Omega Ministries. Dr. White, thanks for being with me today. I really appreciate you. it. Boy, I've got a lot of questions for you. <laughs> I I grew up um, with the King James Bible. So did I. Okay. I I love my King James Bible. That's still what I use today. Mm-hmm. However, I've noticed that there are some people that would say that that, that God has re-inspired mm. and you the King James, and that the King James was actually re-inspired, and they would go so far as to say you should use the King James to correct
1: a Greek or a Hebrew. Right.
0: Can you just address that?
1: Well, you know, uh, the, the funny thing is, the King James translators themselves really would have had a hard time with anyone using their work in that way. I mean, wow. if, we, if we just read the the uh, preface to the Readers that the King James translators themselves wrote. Uh, we'd get a really good idea of where they were coming from. And they in no way thought that their work was a re-inspiration. They, they recognized their dependence upon previous translations, upon Wycliffe and Tyndale and, and the, the Geneva and so on and so forth. And they also recognized that there would be need for revision of their work in the future. Um, and so what has happened since then in the discovery of so many manuscripts that have, that have shed so much light upon the earlier history of the text, both Dead Sea Scrolls uh-huh. as well as the hi- historical uh, light upon the early manuscripts of the New Testament, uh, the, the King James translators themselves would have welcomed uh, that um, providential blessing from God. They really would have. Unfortunately, what has happened, and this is a rel- relatively new movement, this kind of uh, radical perspective, because there are some others who will say, well, for certain reasons, we believe that the text upon which the King James was, was translated is better than the modern texts. Right. You know, I can understand those arguments um, and, and, and have explained those arguments to people, and I engage those types of arguments. I can understand that. And I can even understand someone saying that they prefer... Uh, the style and majesty of the King James translation. I can understand preferences, but when it comes to a point where you're basically saying to people, if you use anything other than this, you're not really getting what God would have Mm -hmm. you to get, and if you dare promote that, now you're not even uh, in the will of God, you're rebelling against God, that type of thing. That's where it becomes extremely dangerous, and uh, unfortunately, there are still those folks out there that say that. But it's interesting, I never find them taking that argument out into the places where I go with the people like the Bart Ermans of the world mm. or into mosques around the world. Um, because the fact of the matter is that kind of a claim is indefensible against people who know anything about the history of the, of the New Testament whatsoever. And so we want, we want what we say in the church to be consistent with what we say in the marketplace of ideas. Wow. If we don't have that kind of consistency, um, we really can't claim uh, that we're, we're following he who is the truth. And so for me that's why it becomes an important issue. So there's nothing wrong with me holding to my King James and saying, hey,
0: I like this, I grew up with this, but when I start saying that this now can correct Greek and Hebrew, I've gone
1: way well, too far. And not only that, but you have to recognize another thing, uh, that is that, for example, uh, we have discovered uh, rules of Greek grammar since the time of the translation of the King James. There's a, very well-known one called the Granville Sharp construction. Granville Sharp was an English abolitionist and Greek uh, grammarian. Interesting combination. <laughs> wow. um, those guys back in England, they were smart back then. <laughs> uh, but um, he discovered a, actually a complex of rules that has shed a great deal of light on Titus 2.13 and Second Peter 1.1, where according to Granville Sharp construction, Jesus is identified as our God and Savior, where God and Savior are both applied to the one person, Jesus Christ. Mm. Now, the King James, in one place, uh, translates it our God and our Savior and introduces a disjunction between the two. And the other, because of the Greek text it was following, likewise has a disjunction. And so you have two key texts on the deity of Christ. That are not there in the King James. I think a person reading the King James should be aware of what advances have happened. And again, I would cite the King James translators as my support for that, because I think they would have been the first ones uh, to, ha- had they known about that construction, to say, oh, yes, that needs to, you know, there's where the future editing needs to take place of the work that we've done. Gotcha. Okay.
0: Why are there so many
1: translations? You study this, you, you I mean this is what
0: you do yeah. this with your ministry all the time. Doesn't doesn't all the translations just cause confusion in the
1: church? Sometimes they do, and I think we have too many English translations. Okay. Uh, let, let's be just honest, uh, the, the glut of English translations today is primarily due to money. I was have um, always wondered that. I, well, I we'll think can about we come it. out and just say that. Well, sure. It, it, it's it's real simple. If you have a major publishing house, and you want to do a study bible you don't want to be paying royalties to your competitor oh. so almost every major uh, publishing house came up with their own translation i mean wow. you know uh, new king james ended up being purchased by somebody else and you know uh, and zondervan's got the niv it, it's that's really what it's all about it's not like oh there's just such a crying need for more english translations no there's not wow and in fact i have a real problem with the simplified translations they're great for second graders or for people learning english but when i see a major uh, preacher in the pulpit using a translation that's written on the second grade level if i had here i'd pull it out (laughs) Uh, i mean seriously because think about when you when you learn greek the first-year Greek, uh, you translate First John at the end of the year because the vocabulary and structure of 1 John is at about level two out of ten. Very simple, very straightforward. The toughest is Hebrews, Luke, and Acts. Very classical, uh, very difficult uh, translation, very difficult um, vocabulary, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, th- when you translate a new translation, and you say we are going to arbitrarily set the level at five, and some of the New Testament is at ten. What happens to all that information that's found between five and ten? Wow, it's gone. I remember uh, I was at uh, CBA once, Christian Bo- Bookseller Association. And I picked up this uh, uh, paraphrase. I brought it back, and I was sitting there, and I was reading through Romans, and I couldn't even f- figure out where I was in Romans.
0: That's how much it had changed. That's how much
1: different it was. And the one thing that immediately struck me was, I could never defend justification by faith out of this text. Couldn't do it. Wow. And so, I think we should, as adults, read translations of the New Testament that are written at the level of the New Testament. And this super simplification, easy reading, smooth, hey, you know what? When Paul wrote Galatians, He didn't write in nice, smooth, simple sentences. He was upset. He was angry about people attacking the truth of the gospel. And if that's not reflected in your translation, is it really a good translation? That's the question. So, I think we are blessed to have many excellent English translations, and by comparing them, especially in all the bible software that my phone yes my, my phone now has the most incredible bible software on it that, that only 10 years ago i didn't have this kind of yeah. information that i could take out in the streets with me we are blessed but i think it's time to say you know why don't we why don't we use that funding to uh, translate into languages that no one has anything in yet mm-hmm. or there's some major languages i, I go and teach in kiev In Russian and even in major languages like that, where we could really make a make a difference in providing some better, modern, up to date uh, translations in those languages, we don't need any more English ones. Okay, let me ask you this:
0: You talked about, you mentioned Bart Ehrman. Textual criticism. Where are we at today? Have we just have we have we beat this horse to death? Where now? I mean, because textual criticism now tries to dismantle the Bible to say we don't even know what they were saying.
1: There's two different kinds of textual criticism. Okay. You have, uh, we need to differentiate them. Uh, what I engage in is called lower textual criticism, where you actually have factual material to deal with. So when we're talking about manuscript-based textual criticism. We're, we're actually talking about trying to reconstruct the original text based upon having more manuscripts of the New Testament than any other work of antiquity, earlier manuscripts than any other work of antiquity, better manuscripts than any other work of antiquity. <laughs> wow. work of antiquity okay. So we have an embarrassment of riches, and you've got people like Dan Wallace running around the world right now, running himself ragged uh, with the Center for the Study of New Testament Manuscripts, trying to digitize the entire world's collection of Whoa. Greek manuscripts. And there's a reason for that. Have you heard about what's happening in the Middle East? Oh yes, they're Libraries destroying Libraries being destroyed, yeah. things like that. If, and those manuscripts are gone. Yeah. If, they were, if they were not digitized, if they're only on, on microfilm, sometimes that microfilm is next to impossible to read. Um, this has to happen. And so that is the, is the area of, of textual criticism that believers can engage in because we're confident that in those currently 5,771 cataloged manuscripts of the New wow. Testament, um, which that number is always changing all the time, um, within all of those manuscripts, <laughs> every original reading is still there. It's like having a 10,000-piece jigsaw puzzle, and what we have, thank God, is 10,100 pieces, <laughs> not 9,900 pieces. You see, we have, we have to go through and examine those variants and see what has been added later, but we can have absolute confidence that we have the original readings. That's, that's a wonderful thing. Now, there is a quote-unquote textual criticism or form criticism that doesn't depend upon having manuscripts to examine where you're trying to go uh, into the construction of the original text and and uh, you know could it be that that john uh, wrote uh, part of his gospel and then went back and edited and then there's someone who edited that and it's all hypothetical it's all based on well i sort of think that john initially would have thought this or initially believed that and it's 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 pure it's pure theory it's not real and it's all based upon the idea that whatever the bible originally was it can't be what christians thought it was
0: wow and so
1: that's a completely different thing and i went to a my my first master's degree was from a a very even more today liberal seminary and i wondered why the lord made me go through that (laughs) now i know now i know why now i know exactly why it was because i can i can look at liberalism and go yeah yeah i've been there done that got the t-shirt and the degree for that matter um, but that kind of criticism is not believing. It's not. It's not believing criticism. It's based upon the idea that we simply cannot uh, believe what the Bible uh, says about itself. We have to start with the assumption that Paul contradicted Peter, and Matthew is off on his own thing over here someplace. And what it produces is always, always self-contradictory. It can never give you any foundation for truth whatsoever. But unfortunately, that's what you're going to find in the most dangerous place for a Christian, which is called a Christian bookstore. Wow. You've, be, you've got to understand when you're walking wow, down the aisles a of a Christian oh bookstore, you might as well think that there are vipers and pythons coiled on each side of you. Because, for example, when you look at commentaries of, on the Old Testament today, with a few glowing and thank you God exceptions, Uh, We gave the Old Testament to liberals a long time ago. Wow. And so people say, well, what what commentary series should I I buy? And I go, I can't tell you. (laughs) Because in a commentary series, you might find one book that is just great, and the one sitting next to it will absolutely be poisoned to your faith. Wow. So we have to have discernment. I, I mean, we live in a day where the world is so opposed to our faith that the days of my grandparents generation where you didn't have to worry about where you got the bible and you didn't have to worry about textual criticism and you didn't have to worry about uh, sexual ethics and marriage and everything else that day's gone yeah. if we want to be salt and light today we have got to know these things and um it's a it's a tough calling but uh, if we want to be salt and light we got to do it wow i could sit here and ask you questions all day dr
0: james white from alpha and omega ministries a Correct. Aomen.org. you got to go check it out. You're right. We've got to equip ourselves. Well, okay, one more. Sure. Hey, somebody says, ah, the Bible was written by man. You can't trust the Bible.
1: <laughs> well, actually, the Bible was written by men. Peter said men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But a person who had asked me that, I'd, I'd need to find out why it is they're saying what they're saying. Are they saying it because they're a secularist? Are they saying it because they don't believe that God can speak? I mean, I would simply say to someone, well, you know, I, I believe that I am, I am a creation, and therefore I speak because my creator has that capacity in of himself, and he's communicated it to me, and he wants me to use that. And so I know why I have the insatiable desire to communicate with others, why that becomes very central to the very human persona itself. But you don't really have an explanation for why that is, first of all. Uh, And secondly, are you telling me that you actually could argue um, that the impersonal universe around us has granted to you this capacity to do something? And if there is a God, let me just, on on a hypothetical basis, He would have to have the capacity to communicate that He's given to us. So if we want to communicate, don't you think God would want to communicate to us as well? And of course, when you come to the issue of the Bible, um, I don't want to ground the authority of the Bible in any example or story that I give to somebody else. Because if I, if I put my hand on something and say, I swear by this, I'm saying this has a higher authority. In the same way, we can point to evidences of the truthfulness and consistency of the Bible. but We have to be very careful we don't communicate to people. That history or manuscripts or anything else is a superior authority to the Bible. That's huge. Well, the the authority of Scripture comes from the fact that it is theanustos. It is God-breathed. It is God-speaking. When you put your hand in front of your mouth and you speak, you cannot help but feel breath. That's the intimacy of what the Word of God actually is. Jesus believed that. In Matthew chapter 22, I'm sure you've seen this, but I love sharing this with folks. When the Sadducees told the the story about the the woman and the seven husbands, okay? I don't know about you, after husband number five, I would have been history. But (laughs) anyway, when Jesus responded, we normally hear his response. What does he say is, you err. You are wrong not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. He's not politically correct. No. He's straightforward. (laughs) You're wrong and he tells religious leaders, you don't understand your own scriptures. Pretty insulting, but when it's true, it's not really insulting. We need to learn that in our society as well. Anyway, but then he says this, have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. His argument amazingly is based upon the tense of a verb. I am the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, not I was. So they're still alive. So he believed that the Bible had been transmitted so well that he could actually base his arguments upon tenses of verbs, that's an amazing thing. But we are often so much caught up in the argument that we miss one of the most amazing elements of what Jesus said. Listen to it again. Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? Now, if I say, have you not read what I wrote in my book? Read, wrote. Did you not hear what I said in my sermon? Okay, hear, speak. That's not what Jesus did. Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? And then he quotes words from 1400 years earlier. So Jesus held men in his day accountable for what had been written 1400 years earlier as if God had spoken it directly right to, them. to them. That is the theology that Jesus has of Scripture. That's Paul's theology in 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is theanustos; it is God-breathed. That's Peter's theology. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the reason you have the degradation of so many denominations and churches today is that in the vast majority of seminaries and Bible colleges in our land, that's no longer believed. Wow. Well, i got to tell you, just that
0: passage just just that thought if you're not in love with the bible yet that should make you want to fall in love with scripture
1: but only the holy spirit of god can cause a person to love the scriptures i am fully convinced that in regeneration in that divine act of regeneration there is an impartation to the regenerated soul of a love for and obedience to the word of god christ said my sheep will hear my voice they will not follow the voice of another. And as a pastor, as an elder in a church, when I encounter someone who can, in a flippant and easy way, question the authority of scripture, I am immediately concerned about this person's welfare. I really am. Wow. Wow. You've written a bunch of books.
0: you got a ton of podcasts up online. If you haven't had a chance, please go check that out. AOMen.org. Dr. White, thank Thank you very much. much. Really, really appreciate your time. What a blessing. Battleship Apologetics, this season on Creation Today, starting August 20th at creationtoday.org.